This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work, and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor, and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're going to get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. I don't know about you, but I have definitely had more than one instance, whether it's a text chain or an email thread, where... I'm trying to coordinate either dinner or an event, some sort of gathering with girlfriends or family, and I don't even know who's coming or not coming anymore. And today's guest has solved that problem with her app, Cobble. Jordan Scott is the CEO and founder of Cobble, which is, as I said, an app designed to help people make better, faster decisions together. Uh, I tried it out. I love it. I wish I had had it when I was um, out visiting my kid in Salt Lake City earlier this year. And in the interview, we talked about how decision-making fatigue and having too many things to manage at any one point in time can be a leader to stress and exhaustion. Uh, But she also shares how she's cultivated this incredibly talented team and how matching people that are very different from her skill set has actually allowed them to create a better product. And we also spent some time talking about how she views procrastination and fear and how she turns both of those feelings into a way to challenge herself to get outside the box. Hey, Jordan, welcome. I am so excited to dive into your business, Cobble. Um, as we as we were saying before I hit the record button, I really wished that you were in Salt Lake City <laughs> for the holidays. That's a you know long distance trying to coordinate plans for the holidays because my son who was there was like, oh, I'll get to it. <laughs> and then he was like, oh wait, I should have done it. <laughs> you know, something that I definitely think is part of Cobble's fabric is not only helping people make decisions, but so much of making decisions is about getting ahead of them, getting in front of them, not waiting until you absolutely need to get to the right decision in that moment. And so like, I think Cobble has a real responsibility to sort of have this smart reminder system or like anticipate, you know, we're all going to need to eat dinner. So why not start thinking about that at 11 a.m. instead of at five o'clock, you know, like, so I think that there's a lot there to say like, hey, last week you loved, you know, making this dish with your partner. Like, is that something you want to make again tonight? Like put it on the calendar, get your partner's feedback, confirm it. You know, I, I really like the idea of, you know, starting to shift even more in that direction. Yeah, I know for me. If I do menu planning, dinner planning out with friends, any like sort of activity ahead of time, then I do well, I eat better. I have more fun with my friends. We go to better restaurants. 
And when I don't, I'm like sitting at home watching Netflix. Yeah. A hundred percent. What is that phrase about like 90% preparation, 10% luck or like 10% execution or something like that. It's so true. It's all about the the pre-work, so to speak, but pre-work sounds so unsexy and people don't like the idea of having to like do things. They just want it to be easy. And so that's a big part of cobble too, is like, how do you make the planning feel fun again, um, feel as fun or hopefully not as fun, but feel, feel more fun than the current status quo or feel, feel just as fun as the plans themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And after I spent an hour and a half searching restaurants in Salt Lake city that might be open for Christmas Eve dinner or yeah, for Christmas Eve dinner and not finding any place that I wanted to go to, I was just, mm. it's so crushing and disappointing. I think that's a lot like we've all been there where, yeah, you either spend forever looking and then it's too late. So you just like, don't do anything or you do the same old, or you sort of like just jump to the whatever's open and then it's really disappointing and it's bad. And you're like, well, why did I even, you know, that's definitely rooted in the problem that we're trying to solve. And I'm sure, you know, this too, like I'm a planner. I'm the one who does the research, who makes the reservations, who does all the sort of stuff. And then I tell everybody like, this is what we're doing. And it's so much more enjoyable when you have this more like collaborative experience and Mm -hmm. and like loop in the people who are going to be part of the experience with you. And I think the reason we haven't done that in the past is because it just complicates things, you know, to be like, what do you think? And what do you like? And and so usually somebody just steps up and it's like, I'll just do it. And everyone else is like, great. But if done well, which is what we're doing at Cobble, you know, decisions really are collaborative. You know, you ultimately someone's in the mood or not in the mood for something, or someone's not free on this night. And you find that out too late. And Cobble is all about figuring that all out earlier to then get to the best choice in the fastest and most fun way that you can get there. Um, and yeah, it's like, yeah, we could go on and on all day about this problem. We all have it. Yeah. So anything we can do, tell everybody um, like how you founded Cobble because it's very yeah. practical and it, it still makes me chuckle. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I mean, the main thing is sort of what we've been talking about already. I just, I was sick of, of going back and forth with my husband every night on like, what do you want to do for dinner? I don't know. What do you want to do? And exactly what I just said, like we just ended up doing the same thing or, you know, we would have these lists everywhere of like cool new restaurants and things we wanted to do. And then when push came to shove, it was like, where's that list? Or like, why don't we know like what to do? And, oh, it's too late to get a reservation or, you know, whatever it might be. And so I come from a journalism background, um, worked at NBC, CBS, and really have always loved great content. Um, But I felt there was this lack of acting on the content. There was nothing that helped you follow through on the things you know you want to do with the people in your life. And so I was really fascinated by this idea of coupling really great curated content with decisioning tools and seeing how those could mesh. And then of course, making it social and making, you know, making all of that connect with the people that matter in your life. So almost sort of a new form of social media, right? One that is much more focused on your actual relationships. It's not a 
be seen and be seen kind of platform. It's not like, what are you doing and being jealous and whatever. It's really like, this is where we come to do things with the people we care about. And that's it. Right. And your circle may be, I don't know, 10, 20, Oh yeah, to the twenty six hundred Facebook friends yeah. that have no idea who they really are. <laughs> exactly. Who do you actually get dinner with? Who do you actually like sit on the couch and watch Hulu with? Like right, those right. are the people you should be connected to and cobble. Yeah, yeah, and it's so much fun. <laughs> I haven't yeah. tried it yet, but I love every time I go to the website. It just it makes me want to give it a try. So please come to Charlotte soon. Oh, I, we're working as hard as we can. We actually just made a pretty big new hire, um, this great guy also named Jordan. So that was a big choice. You know, when you're only seven employees and another person is now Jordan, it's like, oh gosh, uh, but no, he's amazing. He scaled Uber and, you know, we're so lucky to have him, but you know, his job is to help us, you know, more quickly get to Charlotte and Salt Lake and, you know, all these places we, we want to go to. So, oh, I want first dibs as soon as you're in Charlotte. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. I'll let you know. (sighs) Yeah. I want to circle back into the decision fatigue too, because that's something that we all experience. And I've talked about it in the podcast previously and just in general, because I try to uniform myself from a clothing perspective as much as Mm. possible with enough variation for the days where everything's on the floor of my closet. I don't like any of it, but (sighs) I have written a number of posts about like my socks that I don't care if they match. I don't care if they're inside out. I don't care. You know, I have all the same socks. I don't want to think about it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's that one less thing. Like just. Oh, sock. We need to have a whole podcast episode on socks. My husband and I like share socks and he ruins my little ones. And I hate how his, like he loses the matches of the things we need to talk about socks, but anyways. Back to your question on, on yeah. <laughs> how can we eliminate more decision and how is that impacting us too? Because I mean, we're very distracted all the time and I don't think people realize how many tiny little decisions are sucking the energy out of their brain. It's so true. I mean, well, number one, I think we could all do a better job of taking that work off of the people that we're making plans with or doing things with by like how we communicate. So for example, um, my husband and I, we just had a baby six months ago, are constantly asking each other questions about like, should we feed her now? Should we give her a bath now? Um, When's the last time she ate, whatever. And asking it not in a question, but taking that mental load off of the other person by just being like, I'm going to feed her now because I believe it's been like, two hours or whatever it's been, I'm going to feed her. That takes it off of my plate to then go, oh, does she need to eat? Like, and I think that the more conscious we are of like not putting decisions on other people is huge. And with cobble specifically, everything we do is to make it easier for not only the sort of initiator of the plan, but everyone involved in that plan. We simplify things, we narrow things down, we make it very easy to sort of move from step to step, like when works for you. Does this place interest you? Drop an emoji on how this makes you feel. It's We put things almost like in a box, you have blinders on so that it doesn't feel like overwhelming. I think so much of the decision fatigue we all have is that overwhelming options sort of feeling. And the only way we can really make a decision is with a clear set of options. So I hope, I hope that answers your question. Yes, definitely. 
Cool. options. Stop asking people questions. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just be like, I can ask yourself the question first and be like, what do I know? If it's truly something you can't possibly know, then sure. Ask the question. But I think, um, I think we're all guilty of doing that because we don't want to step on toes. It's like, we want to make sure everyone is comfortable and that we're getting their opinion. And sometimes it's nice to just take that away. And, and you'll start to see that it becomes reciprocal. Like if they recognize that you're doing that, like they start doing that. Yeah. And you know, it's funny that you said that too, because I was using my older son for, as a Google, (laughs) he's like, you know, you can look this up. I'm like, Oh, that hadn't occurred to me. (laughs) My parents do the same thing. They're like, okay, we're, so we're going to this restaurant. Like what's the address. And I'm like, we all have the same access to finding out what the address of the restaurant is. Like I, why do I have to look this up? But again, another little plug for Kabul, right? Like as soon as that plan is finalized, all of the information is at your fingertips, right? It's like the address, the time of the reservation, the people who are locked in that are going, um, you know, the, the ability to look at it on Google maps and get directions, you know, all of those things. It's like, how do you make everything just in one screen, what you need to know, the phone number, you know, whatever it might be, the menu. Um, It's just like any question you might ask someone, like, let it be there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So much easier. So much easier. (laughs) (laughs) It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. So you mentioned that um, content is really important. How have you um, done content differently uh, as you've been growing Cobble? Yeah. I mean, we've iterated ourselves, um, a lot to, to get to the current, I'll say formula that we have today. You know, I've always known that imagery is really, really important in helping people make decisions of like what a place looks like or what you can expect. Um, but the thing that I think we've done most differently is we actually have this unique system of editorial tags that make cobble, not only scalable, but also, you know, really differentiated and unique. So to give an example, there might be a restaurant that on Google you can see is American food and it's a $2 sign restaurant. And, you know, you've got the basic information, the address, the menu, whatever. But on Cobble, you're going to see tags like great for brunch, perfect to impress the in-laws, you know, NSFW, right? Not safe for work, like whatever it might be there. There's hundreds of these tags that we have sort of decided are valuable attributes that people really want to know about a place so that when they are making the decision of like, do I want to include this in my list of options for my group or not? You know, they have the actual information they need to know about the place. Um, and we're actually going to start using what's called GPT-3 to have, oh, yeah. yeah, to have a computer essentially um, learn that tagging system and apply it to, you know, not only places that we haven't put on Cobble yet, but new places and, and things like that, which ultimately will help us scale to new places, right? Is if we ingest a ton of new places and then it knows sort of like what attributes to look for in order to apply our unique tags, then, you know, we can scale and launch even faster in new cities. Yeah. Have you used the GPT 
We're, we're just starting to like explore it right now, but our engineers are super, you know, excited about it. Not only in things like what I just described, but even in helping them like code faster. So as far as I understand, like there's all these essentially shortcuts that it creates because it starts to learn, um, learn you. I know that my engineers specifically told me like, they don't see it wiping out, you know, engineers jobs anytime soon. Like it's not smart enough for that yet. Um, but it certainly, you know, improves productivity and, and things like that. Yeah. We've been talking about it. I've heard some really great things, um, and just helping to start write content. Yes. Um, but you know, I'm always weary of, right. Like I think that humans have a tone and a voice and not just humans, right? Like human to human, like we all have a different voice. So to assume that somehow, an algorithm could emanate that, you know, I just believe it when I see it, <laughs> but I, 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 have share, I share the same skepticism because I have a very particular voice as does everybody else. Yeah. So maybe if it were to absorb enough of my content, it could write my sometimes overly verbose sentences. <laughs> but, no, maybe, um, but I like the idea of it from a, writer's block standpoint or where you're not like, you're just not having the idea that week or that month to get you started. Yeah. No, I mean, more strategic about it. It's incredible. All, all I, all I'll say is, you know, we're, we're about to raise our series a this year and investors, especially, you know, series a investors, like they want to know that you're aware of the new technology and that you're at least thinking about how it applies to your company or how it might affect competition. And like, you know, all of that, you just have to be aware first and foremost. And I don't know if any of your listeners are, um, you know, raising money, whether that's seed or a, or, you know, beyond something that was really helpful for me to think about is I come from the creative side. I love, you know, content and I love using apps. I'm in no way technical. I've not raised from venture capital before. And something someone told me that I thought was really helpful is like, you know, I don't need to walk into those meetings, you know, as the um, premier expert on dilution and what my cap, how my cap table is formed. And, you know, some of this stuff that's over my head, like they are the experts. So if you walk in and try to seem like you're an expert when you're not an expert, like that actually only sets you back more. It's sort of like an honesty thing. It's being upfront about what you're good at, what you're not good at, and just giving them the confidence that you know how to bring in the right people to be good at the things that you're not good at. And that was like a a big weight off of my shoulders because I was like, great, now I don't have to like figure out how to completely understand this world in six months. Um, I'm just going to go in, be passionate about what we're building, be passionate about our team. And, you know, this is the plan for how I think we're going to do it. And, you know, luckily I have people to lean on to help with some of the stuff that I just will never be amazing at. And I think that's the really one of the best characteristics of CEO, founder, leader, whatever bucket you want to put it in is surrounding yourself with incredible people who do all the things that either you don't want to do or are not your zone of genius. Right, right, right. You're going to create a stronger offering product service. Totally. And to just know, like, you know, there's folks on my team who are just so bright. Like my, um, our engineers, like 
wow, I could never do what they do. And it's important to remind myself that like, but they could never do what I do, right? Like there's a reason that we're both in our respective positions and we both admire each other and that's it. Like it's not one is better than the other. Yeah. What has been the most challenging part of getting funding? Well, so as I said, we raised our seed round. Um, Now we're about to raise our series A. Uh, Our seed we raised in October of 2020. The money was in the bank. So we started raising around June of 2020. Um, That happened pretty quickly. It was obviously in this strange pandemic time. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had plans to launch earlier that year. But of course, this was an app all about going out with other people. And we decided to pause the launch. We put in a bunch of content that was around um, what to cook and what to watch. And we sort of expanded our offering while all of these, you know, people were locked down. And I think that ultimately we found these seed investors, which were all angel investors. It proved to them that we knew how to pivot quickly and that we, we sort of represented a hope for the future, right? Like someday people are going to go out again. Someday people are going to want yes. to figure out dinner <laughs> plans again. And I think that that was really attractive at that moment. It was like, how can we invest in getting out of this thing? And Cobble definitely represented that. Yeah. And as you're going in for the series A, what are you doing to prepare now? So a lot of of course, continuing to improve the product and continuing to grow our user base and and all the things that we would be doing, whether or not we were raising the Series A. Um, But otherwise, you know, we've been working on this 10 page teaser deck for at least six months, right? And there's 10 slides, right? Like it's so, you know, it's much harder to do simple than to do, um, you know, throw everything at them and be like, this is everything, right? Like, how do you really distill it in a way that is really compelling and puts your best foot forward and gets the meeting, continuing to work on the deck, continuing to, you know, slice and dice the metrics that we think are most representative of what it is we're doing and what we're doing well. And then beyond that, you know, it's been a ton of research with our CFO on what VCs might be a good fit. And, you know, we just have a notion board from, you know, tier three, tier two, tier one, dream partner, um, dream leads, things like that, that we essentially, you know, have a plan of attack for who we reach out to. We have an extremely expensive subscription to PitchBook, which has all of the information about past companies these VCs have invested in and all the contact information. So that seems to finally being um, worth what we pay. And uh, that's pretty much it. You know, now we're about to start going out for some early meetings and I'm happy to share. We, we made this like little um, one minute long video um, also that we sent right ahead of the holidays to make sure that a bunch of the VCs were like thinking about us and looking forward to chatting in the new year. And yeah, you should definitely watch it. It's a, it's a good video. Oh, I would love that. Where can I find it? I'll, I'll send it to you. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. And then I'll uh, post it for everybody to see eventually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I would love to see it. I'm curious too, because for me, the idea initially of like pitching to a VC feels a little scary, right? Like, yeah. And like that reputation. Yeah. Um, and I know, I mean, women founders, something like only 4% of all 
businesses are women founders. And I think that's increasing finally, but there's still obviously a minuscule percentage of uh, women who are being funded. And also just like straight numbers of women founders, right? Like there, there aren't as many women going to VCs and, and raising money. And that starts with the fact that women aren't able to raise seed money as easily, right? Like perhaps pre um, VC, but we're on friends and family and, and angels and things like that. And only until they reach that threshold, are they even able to go to VCs? So, you know, I think, I think that's part of the problem too, but I see, I see that as weirdly more of an opportunity. I think that more than ever, VCs are really interested in funding great female founded businesses. And so I sort of feel like I'm walking into rooms with more of a leg up, actually. Awesome. That's really encouraging. We'll to see. But yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I could be totally wrong, but you know what? You do what you have to tell yourself. We'll have you back on right after you get funding. I hope so. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit then. And what would help more women get seed funding? Is there something that you feel like you did differently? Is it just boldly asking? You know, I think that unfortunately, so much of it is connections. And I did have a lot of that when I when I started the seed round. It started with friends and family and sort of expanded beyond that to, you know, people that they wanted to loop in who would be interested. And it's very much a game of FOMO. I think people don't want to be left out if they're, investor buddies are are investing in something they it's much more painful to not have invested and missed out than to just lose you know 25 50 grand to some of these people which is something that I can't understand at my current stage in life but hopefully Get one there. day I will <laughs> yeah exactly um So a lot of it is that but of course connections only get you the meeting right It's once you get on there and you are insanely passionate and you're able to answer questions really honestly. Like I think something that I did when I was raising was if there was a question that I didn't know the answer to, I didn't try to pretend like I, like I knew I very much said, that's a really interesting question. That's something I haven't thought about before, or it is something I've thought about before or whatever. And I'll definitely, you know, think about that and get back to you. And, you know, you can only do that with so many types of questions. There are some things that you need to know and you, and you should be as prepared as possible. But I think just being as honest as possible is, is the key and being like nuts passionate. Like they have to know that you are not letting this thing go. You know, I used to say during those meetings, like, I don't care if cobble becomes a car company, like it's going to succeed. Like it has to. Um, and that's a pretty crazy thing to say. But <laughs> I, uh, I still feel that way. It is. And I think that shows commitment, right? Like, you know, I also think a lot of these startups fail because of just the length of time you can hold on. Like it, it, it is such a, and listen, sometimes you can't hold on because you run out of money or like your team can't afford to be paid so little for as long as it is or whatever. There's a million reasons, right? But if you can just literally hang in there, I think that's half the battle. Yeah, I agree. I think you have to be reasonably intelligent and just hang out until it works. And that isn't to say hang on to a sinking ship, right? That is that because if something's not working and you're like, this is never going to work. It's 
pivoting, right? Like for us, it's, it was, okay, well, we need to add content that makes sense now for this moment for whatever, or, you know, we switch over to e-commerce instead of restaurants or whatever it might be. Like, it doesn't mean keep doing the same thing that isn't working. It's just like, keep trying new things, keep making short little movements around until it does work. Yeah. Eventually it will. It will. And I think what you said is is perfect because it's keeping the openness of being curiosity. Okay, I'm halfway here. Right. What's not working and how can I adjust it? And right. Instead of just throwing your hands up and being like, it's gonna work or else, but yeah, not right. doing anything differently. Right, right, right. And there's there's no illusion that there I should say there is an illusion that in 20 years when you're Facebook or your Twitter, that like all your problems are solved. Like your problems are never solved. Not even when you're a household name, not even, you know, when you are a billionaire, a unicorn, like the, it never ends. So also learning to be comfortable in things like being difficult and not working and having to figure things out and challenges like that, just, that is what it is. It doesn't ever, ever, ever yeah. go away. Yeah. I just said that to a client yesterday. She said she was feeling really overwhelmed with her growth trajectory and all the things that needed to be done. And I was like, let me share something that will make it much easier for you. Get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's exactly. it. Like you have to be okay with being uncomfortable, but also that like little bit of overwhelm where it's going to drive you to start figuring things out. Yeah. Yeah. That's just our brains telling us that we care too. Yeah. You know? So let that be the worst thing. And it is, it sucks sometimes. It definitely really sucks, but totally sucks. But it's just sort of how you wake up in the morning and you're like, either I'm going to take this as a challenge or I'm going to take this as a defeat. And um, hopefully there's more, I'm going to take it as challenge mornings. Yeah. Are there things that you do on any given day that help you stay in that mindset and, and work from that kind of framework? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the great Jerry Seinfeld recently said this and I was like, <laughs> wow, this is so true. He was like the only two things that ever make you feel better that ever make a difference are sitting down and actually doing the work that you're avoiding, just setting a timer for 20 minutes and just making the tiniest divot in the thing that's stressing you out and to exercise, moving your body. That's it. Both of those things will always fix in some small form, whatever is gnawing at you. And I agree with that. <laughs> I think that uh, if I'm able to move my body, that helps my brain. And if I, you know, don't just avoid the hard thing that I'm, that I'm not doing the conversation that I have to have, whatever it is, like, if I just get that out of the way, it's better. It just is better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And usually the thing that I've avoided once I've done it, or I'm part way, I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. Look, you can do this. Yeah. I mean, I think the more you do those things too, especially like hard conversations with employees or with partners or whoever you're working with, that those become less scary. Like I remember when I was, when I first left my job at CBS, I had hired this agency in my WeWork to build me a little website for my previous um, company that really evolved into Cobble. It was called IDK Tonight. And it was just a content, you know, what to do type platform, um, Instagram website. And I had hired this agency to, to do it. 
And they completely did like not what I wanted. And like, of course, this was also my first project like this. Like, I'm sure I was also a terrible client and like, didn't do a good job of explaining whatever. It was not what I needed. Mm -hmm. And I was so terrified to go up to their office. Like I remember sitting at my desk and my whole body like vibrating. And I, I was, I called my dad and I was like, what do I do to stop feeling so anxious? And he told me like to squeeze my fists and like (laughs) dig my nails into my hand. And that that was going to like relieve some sort of thing. I don't know how much that helps. I'm going to ask him if he still agrees with that method. But I, anyways, that doesn't happen to me anymore. I still get anxious. I still get, you know, I got to get revved up and focus and like, you know, whatever, but I don't have that. Like I am shaking. I can't, I can't focus on anything else. Like that's gone. So that's, that's growth. And hopefully in another 10 years, it's just a breeze or it's something I look forward to. Like I look forward to conflict resolution or whatever it might be. I think that is complete. That's such growth. Um, You know, I'm laughing because I remember the first time I spoke on stage and I'm fairly certain that, I mean, not only was my entire body vibrating, but every word that I uttered was like panicked and shaking as well. And for anyone speaking on stage, do not hold a piece of paper. That paper will shake so much. You want to be holding nothing that can clearly be like moving. Yeah. And I do like to hold something because that helps with the energy for me. Hold a microphone. But (laughs) I also don't shake like that anymore. Good. Good. Yes. That was a long time ago. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's, and that's one of the things I love to do too, is those kind of reflection periods where it's like, look at how far I've come at some of the small stuff, like being terrified to walk on stage. And now I'm just like, whatever. Yeah. That's a nice thing. Like I didn't even until this conversation, I didn't think about the, uh, that meeting. So I appreciate you for bringing that up in my consciousness. You're so welcome. Uh, I'm so (laughs) glad that you shared it. So let's talk about like the shift from journalism to essentially tech company. Yeah, that was really, I mean, so the way I always describe it is, you know, I always, I had a singular dream when I was growing up from elementary school, middle school, high school, and that was go to NYU, go to New York City, go to college in New York, go to NYU. And I applied early decision and got in. And that was like my first, like really meaningful goal that I completed and went to NYU, loved it, um, had really a tremendous experience there. It wasn't without its challenges, but it was, you know, it was still amazing. But when I graduated and I got a job, a full-time job at CBS this morning, um, the current anchors were Gail King, Charlie Rose, and Nora O'Donnell. And I got there and was like, wait, so I just come into this place every single day now forever. What, like, I didn't know what I was working toward. And I was looking around and started realizing like, I didn't want anyone else's job. Like I wasn't like, Ooh, I want to be Gail King or I want to be the executive producer or like, I needed something to be the top. And I couldn't, 
I was like, no, I don't want any of those. So that was like a really scary feeling. Cause I was like, this is what I chose. This is what I did and studied and I'm here and I got the dream job and I'm here and I, what am I doing? And so I remember when I finally decided to leave with no job lined up because I was, I, I my hours were 3am to 3pm being that it was a morning show. Oh, and wow. I didn't have nights and I didn't have mornings. And so I was like, there's no way that I have time to even like look for another job. I was so like sick. And so I remember I just was like, I got to get out of here. And I, I, I told my direct manager that I was leaving. He was very supportive and so sweet. And, and I even remember talking to the executive producer at the time. And he was so amazing. He told me, he was like, this really shows a lot of self-awareness and you should be really proud that you're like leaving, you know, and not wasting time. And, you know, I was there for under a year, but at the same time, it felt like nine years. You're getting and, out in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And uh, I just, I remember people being, you know, finding out that I was leaving and they were like, where, like, who poached you? You know, where are you going next? And I was like, nope, I, nobody. And I don't know. And I don't know what's happening. And, you know, I had a very light idea for IDK Tonight, that, that first company. Um, And I did a lot of like freelancing and, you know, doing little social media things here and there. Um, But it was really just a free fall, um, you know, any sort of real path, but it was also really freeing because then I was, I was back to like big lofty, big dream goal. And like that I feel more comfortable in. And so here I am today, but I, I, I don't remember if I told you or not that, you know, my husband, my now husband, then boyfriend, we had just moved in together two months before I quit CBS. And I remember I was like, so I'm quitting my job. I'm not looking for another job. I'm going to start a company that's all about like couples and going out together. So like, you can't leave me. And how do you feel about that? And he was just like, great. You know, one thing that he always says is that he'll take care of the floor and I take care of the ceiling, which I really like that. Oh, I do like that. Yeah. It's a comforting decision. How has really cool content helped you start with the first company, but also particularly with Kabul as you're here, you are like brand new in a pandemic. Mm. Um, How has that helped you generate leads? Leads in terms of like new users, new users, um, just nurturing people, bringing them into your audience. And and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, content is everything. We all are looking to be delighted and, shocked and to have something to look forward to. I think our lives are just a series of looking forward to different things. And so if we can create content that does that for people, you know, whether it's an event or it's a TV show or it's a restaurant, a bar, whatever, like if that clicks in your mind as like, Ooh, I'm looking forward to that. And not only that, but this app that promises to do our very, very best job of helping you follow through on that thing, then then that's a pretty compelling value prop. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm making up words. That's awesome. How are you doing content differently to stand out then kind of using some of those, those points you just mentioned? 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's a few things. I think it's that unique tagging system that I mentioned of just like what attributes we use to describe these different pieces of content, but it's also the way that we serve the content. So in Cobble, you connect with your closest relationships, whether that's a significant other, best friend, family, whatever. And as you start using the app, Uh, looking at content, liking different content, creating plans out of different content, we can start to see different matches between you and your connections. And so when it comes time to actually, you know, making dinner plans with another couple or whoever you are making plans with, Cobble actually can start to predict what might be stronger options for that plan. Um, And it's, it becomes less and less work on one person to be doing all the research and looking through the content. And actually Cobble can play this role of, well, I know what you like and I know what you like. So this is in between you guys. And why don't you think about this? Um, So I think that that's also a, a pretty big differentiator is just how the content is served up as it relates to your connections and your preferences. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Come to Charlotte. Please come to Charlotte. <laughs> we can be a test city. <laughs> I, I love it. Listen, no, we, again, Jordan, who we just brought on, is all about, um, you know, launching even faster, which he has some ideas for that, but nothing that I can share just yet. Okay. That's okay. Definitely <laughs> have you back on then so that you can share those after they've happened. And, Amazing. Uh, see everything that's growing. So it, we're recording um, and it's January, it's like the third or the fourth or whatever. It's the beginning of January, everybody, as we're recording this. What plans do you have for the year? Like, What's some of the things that you might be able to share? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, if there was a big headline, it would be Cobble Raises Series A. Um, that's that's the thing that we need to to keep on going um, and, and growth, right. You know, we launched two new cities beyond New York in December of last year, we launched LA and Atlanta, and we are launching Miami, um, very shortly. Um, and then just waterfalling a bunch more cities after that. So, you know, really expanding our reach across the nation and, you know, continuing to iterate on the product, adding more, ways to make decisions with your connections. You know, there's so many different fun ways that you can ultimately come to consensus, right? There's what we have currently today, which is sort of a polling system where you can collect a couple of restaurants and then all of your connections vote on those restaurants and Cobble tells you what the number one choice is. But there's things like live match, something that we're working on right now, where you and your connections have your phones open at the same time. And the very first swipe right that you all do is the winner, right? It's very gamified. It's very in the moment, you know? So there's a lot of different like pieces we're playing with that we're going to test this year. So that's another thing, but, you know, hopefully after the series a, all of our current employees get a well-deserved raise, including myself and, (laughs) and, and we continue to expand the team at that point as well. That sounds really, really exciting. It is exciting, stressful, all the things. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good place to be though. I think. I think so too. I, that's one of the things that I sort of decided I wanted this year to be about is recognizing how awesome it is that I get to 
do what I'm doing and to look for the fun in it every day. And, you know, the fact that I get to just talk about my business with you today, like that's so lucky and cool that that's part of my job. And so it's definitely easy to get bogged down by the stresses and the data and this and that. But I think taking a quick second to be like, this is insane and awesome is so helpful for me. That's awesome. Where can everybody connect with you and start trying Cobble? Yeah. So Cobble is in the app store. Um, you can go to our website, trycobble.com. All of our socials are at trycobble. We have the coolest TikTok intern on the planet who runs our TikTok. So definitely follow us there at trycobble. And yeah, you'll be updated on when we're in your city. If you sign up for our newsletter and, uh, keep in touch on, on Instagram. And my Instagram personally is MS Jordan Scott, and that's pretty much it. Awesome. So everybody try cobble, download the app, get on the wait list. You're coming to Charlotte by the end of the year. That's going to be my, my protection. That would be incredible. (laughs) Come on, let's do it. Jordan, thank you so much. This has been so much fun to have you on. uh, Thank you so much. It's been such a joy speaking with you and um, can't wait to catch up again in a few months. Yeah, absolutely. It's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of Women Who Build Empires. And if that's true, please follow and share Women Who Build Empires with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Your support is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you.